God continues to suffer long with man is a special day. It's a special day because he is giving all men the opportunity to hear and to answer his call to repent. Every day that you and I are granted life, it is a gift. It is a gift from God, and it is a gift that ought to be treated, not treated lightly, but used very wisely. Every day should not be used in any sense in a careless manner. Today, all across our country, and even for that matter, even all over the world, churches of all kinds have elevated this day above other days and elevated this assembly above other assemblies of worship with various celebrations and activities intended to highlight the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And many churches will practice religious traditions to stir up their emotions or to to delight their senses like candlelight services or choral performances. Other churches will host a number of fun and games which have nothing to do with our calling in Christ Jesus. And even among the masses who profess to be believers in the Son of God, there are some individuals who will participate in their church assemblies and their church activities today, while perhaps not darkening the door of their church the rest of the year. Our modern religious festivities are these things, are they what... Are they the things that God wants? Are they, the one, are they the things that God is seeking from you and me as believers, as disciples of his son, Jesus Christ, as his children? Is all the hype that is associated with this annual observance of Easter, is all of it according to the Lord's word. Today, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us with some self-reflection, with some self-examination. So I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to your Old Testaments to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 7. And we're going to Start by reading this entire chapter. It's 14 verses. We're going to read all 14 verses as it becomes kind of the the, the backdrop for our thought, our discussion, our spiritual challenge today. And so in Zechariah chapter 7, I'm going to be in there in verse 1. Verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius... The word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now Bethel had sent Sarazer and Regimelech and their men to seek the favor of their Lord, speaking to the priest who belonged to the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophet, saying, 
Shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain, as I have done these many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? When you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves and do you not drink for yourselves? Are not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous along with its cities around it, and the Negev and the foothills were inhabited. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice, and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan or the stranger or the poor. And do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. They made their hearts like flint so they should not hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them. I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. Thus the land is desolated behind them so that no one went back and forth, for they made the pleasant land desolate. Was it actually for me... God asked, was it actually for me that you fasted there in verse 5? Now, Zechariah was God's prophet, and he was the prophet or one of the prophets sent to the remnant of God's people who had come back. They had returned to Jerusalem, back to Judah after their captivity, 70 years of captivity, They have come back to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild and to restore. And the time period of this is in the early 500 B.C. So around 520 to 518, the scholars suggest. And the message of the entire book of Zechariah emphasized this idea of restoration. The restoration of God's blessings. The restoration of God's purposes, particularly as it related to the coming of the Messiah. And so Zechariah says a lot about the coming of the Messiah in the visions that he has shown from God. What we have here in this particular chapter is that the people have come asking God a question about something that they have done for a long time through their period of exile. And God reminds them that because uh, the people of God previously had stopped listening, because they had stopped heeding the words of Jehovah, that's why they suffered what they suffered. That's why God poured out his, his wrath upon the nation of Israel and sent them into captivity for 70 years. And so he explains that to them. 
You know, you had a stubborn shoulder. You know, you, you know, stuffed up your ears. You had a heart made of flint. And because you refused me, that's why you suffered what you suffered. Well, during that time period of exile, during that time period of captivity, they had regularly fasted to God. And so they come asking the prophet or appealing, appealing to God, you know, to, to the priest, asking, do we have to continue to do what we did during captivity? See, they're back home now, you know, the remnant, and say, okay, do we have to keep on fasting, you know, the fifth month and the seventh month? And so God answers that to them. And basically what he says, God says, well, I did not require you to make those fasts. I didn't tell you to fast. You know, uh, the fast that you did, they were not according to what I wanted from you. And then he tells them what he wanted from them all along, even before captivity, you know, what God required. And he talks about how God all along wanted them to obey him. He, I want you to, to adhere to my commandments. I want you to uphold my justice. I wanted you to show or practice kindness to your fellow man. I want you to abstain from evil. That's what I commanded you. That's what I asked of you. But that's not what you did. You ended in captivity, and now you've been fasting for 70 years. And you come asking me, do we have to still do this? And God says, was it really for me? All these years you've been doing this, this religious, spiritual action. You know, he says, was it actually for me? Because God want, what God wanted is he wanted them to turn back to his word. What God wanted, he wanted them to return to obeying what he said. So I think clearly there, this predicament or this situation and circumstance that the people of Israel had back in the days of Zechariah is applicable to us today. Cannot men of faith, cannot we ourselves make the same mistake they made? Can we not make the same mistake today? Where we do things religiously, we do things spiritually, but it's not what God said. It's not what God required. Oh, we're doing it in the name of the Lord, but it's not what he asked of us. Was it actually for me that you fasted, he said? So with that thought in mind, let us think about today. Think about all of the traditions that are associated with this annual observance that we call Easter. You know, there's a number of traditions and celebrations that occur annually among all the different churches in the world today. But are they for God or are they for men? Was it actually for me that you've been doing in upholding these traditions all these centuries. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Peter, by the Spirit, as he begins the unfolding and relaying the message of his second epistle, he reminds, this, reminds us of this truth. When he says, His divine power, that is God's power, 
has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That is everything we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need to be right with God. Everything we need to worship God acceptably is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all there. What God requires of us is revealed. It's all there. We just need to know what he says. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate it. But it's all there. What God actually wants from us, he has told us. The divine pattern that we're to follow is clearly brought out by Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. As he pins this letter to the church in Corinth, the first letter, and he reminds them, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I've sent to you Timothy, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. Paul says, imitate me, imitate my ways, the ways that are in Christ. He says, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul did not teach different things in different churches. He taught the same thing. So he's writing to to the church here in Corinth. He says, and I've sent Timothy to help you to remember what I taught you. To remember about the ways, my ways that are in Christ Jesus. So the pattern that we are to uphold as Christians, the pattern that we are to uphold as God's children, it's found where? It's found, once again, in God's Word. It's found in the New Testament Scripture. The pattern that is of Christ is all here. One more passage to consider. Over in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a different church. And he's he's making a very similar exhortation as he tells them here that, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. There's traditions of men and there's traditions who have a divine origin. The word traditions is literally something that's been passed down from one generation to the next. And so there are traditions that have come down to us from God through the apostles of Christ that we're to, what, stand firm in. There's some traditions that we need to hold firmly to. Which ones are those? It is the apostolic traditions that are contained for us, to preserve for us, in God's word, the inspired scriptures that are of God. The inspired scriptures that are of God. It's not the scriptures of men. It is the scriptures of God. It is very the revelation of the mind and will of God. And so you go to our question, you know, think about all the traditions that uh, are practiced, particularly annually around the Easter season. Are they for God? Or are they for men? Which are they? What do you find the scriptures saying? You know, what do you find the scriptures directing to do? What do you find the scriptures not saying? Completely silent regard. And there's a number of things you can go down that path with. Very quickly, I want to just share two facts. Just two facts about, you know, Easter as we know it today. Oh, wrong button. 
The first one is, after much debate, after some years of debating, the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church in the 7th century decreed which Sunday in the year, which Sunday in the year would be set aside for a commemorative celebration of Jesus Christ's resurrection. It was the Roman Catholic Church that decreed this. And so that tradition from the 7th century has been observed. Is it for God or is it for men? Is it from God or is it from men? Another fact is that this word Easter, this word that we use to define this season, this word Easter is not even found in the original language of the New Testament. You You will not find this word in the original language of the New Testament there is, one, there is one place that's used in the older King James Version, the book of Acts, and it's a mistranslation of the correct word. But actually, the word is a, a, a word derivative from the name of an idol goddess of spring. You know, well, why do we have this word Easter? Well, it is a, it's a word derivative from an idol god you know, of spring had a lot to do with certain pagan festivities, which had a lot to do with the, you know, the, the fertility of that idolatry. And so it was chosen, it was chosen to become the term to describe this season. Once again, those two facts just in and of themselves indicate you're not going to find this in God's word. You're not going to find this in God's word, these things. These are of men. So here's really kind of the more of that I want to focus on the idea of the self-examination, kind of the self-reflection as we look at our faith. We look at the things we do. And that is, are our activities for worship actually for God? Think about what we do from week to week. Are our activities for worship actually for God? Or why? Why do we do the things we do for worship? Why do we do what we do? Do we have a biblical basis? Do we have direction from God to do this? Whose traditions are we keeping? Are we keeping God's traditions, the apostolic traditions, or are we keeping man's traditions? What's the motive behind what we do? What kind of worship has God commanded Christians to do? We can see in the New Testament. We can find what's commanded. So what kind of worship is commanded? Or for that matter, what do we do when our acts of worship are not exciting? They're not stimulating for us. When our acts of worship, they don't make us feel good. Or maybe they don't please our physical senses. What do we do then? Do we just throw it away? Because, oh, it it didn't make me feel good. I don't want to do that anymore. What are we doing and why? That's the big question. And we're not going to answer the whole question this morning. We think about this subject of 
when God challenged his people of old and says, was it actually for me you're doing that? And God, God says, I asked you to do this, and you didn't do that. That's what I wanted, but you didn't do what I wanted you to do, and you ended up trying to you know, make it better by fasting. He says, that's not what I wanted from you. I wanted you to listen to me. I wanted you to obey me, but you didn't do that. And so you suffered the consequences of your sin. As Christians, we are commanded, we are commanded to worship God and, and we're commanded to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And, uh, and so when you, when you think about that, uh, I want you to think about the idea of what is said in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, where the apostle Peter is writing by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, you also as living stones, just previous to this verse, is it says Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the living cornerstone. Yeah, that's verse 4. And then he says, you also, so you see the connection, Christ is our cornerstone. We are now living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a, sp- a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yes, we are commanded to worship God. Yes, we are commanded to offer spiritual sacrifices, but they need to be sacrifices that will truly please God. They need to be sacrifices that are going to be acceptable to God. God is worthy to be worshipped. You know, that's not a point of contention among us. We recognize God is worthy to be worshipped. God seeks true worshipers. The Gospel of John chapter 4. And and worship is one of the many commandments that we have are given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in offering our spiritual sacrifices to God, there there are some lessons from the past that we need to take to heart. For example, we need to go back and very briefly touch on the idea of the idea all sacrifices are not acceptable though. Just because I offer something to God doesn't mean God's going to say that's that makes me happy. I'm pleased with that. And, that's, and there's, there's a couple of examples I want to use. One is from the Old Testament. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you recall the story of King Saul sent on a mission by God. He does not obey, that, obey God properly or correctly, and he's going to suffer the consequences of that. He was told to go and basically destroy this nation that had, had fought against God's pe- people previously, he didn't carry out the commandments as God told him, and he ended up saving you know, animals, supposedly, is his, his explanation, for sacrificing to God. Well, God wasn't happy with King Saul. He sent the prophet Samuel to address the king, and in the end, the king is going to remove from his throne because of this disobedience. But listen to what Samuel says to King Saul about sacrifices. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel said, As the Lord is much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, 
he has also rejected you from being king. Now God had commanded sacrifices uh, uh, of the Israelites to, to carry out. And so you can go back to Exodus and Leviticus and you see all the different sacrifices that God had commanded. And, and, they, and they should obey those commandments and carry those sacrifices. But sacrifice by itself without obedience is null and void. If you're offering some sacrifice to God, but you're, on the other hand, you're really not obeying God, God's not going to be pleased with the sacrifice. Yeah. You know, the sacrifice is not going to take the place of disobedience. No, God, God question and challenge, you know, he says, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? God wants you to hear him. God wants you to listen to him. God wants you to obey him. And if there are sacrifices that are commanded, carry out those sacrifices. But adding more sacrifices or adding more traditions or adding more you know, religious activities that God has not commanded doesn't take the place of disobedience. Jesus, likewise, in Mark 7, Jesus likewise rebuked the Jews of his day in a similar way. In Mark chapter 7, he's particularly addressing the Pharisees, the Jewish Pharisees and scribes of their day, who he describes as hypocrites. They're very religious, they're very pious, you know, they're not knowledgeable, but they're not obeying God. They're not adhering to what God, God has, was saying to them through the law of Moses. And so Jesus rebuked them there in verse 6. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. Now Isaiah lived about 700 years prior to the time of Jesus. And so about 700 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied this, describing the people then, and the people haven't gotten much better now. And so Jesus says, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Yes, we are required to offer spiritual sacrifices, but the kind of sacrificing that is acceptable to God. We don't need to make the mistake of King Saul, nor do we need to make the mistake of the Jewish Pharisees in Jesus' day. Yes, we need to offer the sacrifices that God requires of us, and we need to do so with a heart that's in tune with God. But let us not stop obeying the word of the Lord. So, how are we, how are we instructed to remember the power of Jesus' resurrection. How should we remember the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, throughout the year? Well, in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, as Paul begins his introduction to this profound letter 
to the saints in Rome, he has these words to say to them as he reminds them concerning Jesus Christ. Is it concerning his son who is born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who is declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So how should we proclaim the resurrection? Well, first of all, we need to do so by proclaiming or by teaching that Jesus is the Son of God by the power of the resurrection. That's the first way we need to do it. We need to be bold to say, Jesus is God's Son today and tomorrow and next week. Why? How can I know that? Because of the resurrection of the dead. That's why. We need to proclaim Christ. We proclaim the sonship of Jesus Christ. How? By the power of his resurrection. That's exactly what you read in the book of Acts, is it not? As the apostles started in Jerusalem and went outward to the world proclaiming Jesus... They preached that God the Father raised up his Son and made him Lord and him Christ, and that's who you need to obey. That's how you proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by preaching Jesus is the Son of God by the power of his resurrection on that third day. But also... We need to do so throughout the year through baptism. Through baptism, believers are buried in water into Christ's death, are they not? They're buried in water into Christ's death so that they can be raised up. How? Raised up with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection to walk a new life. The second way we we are to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ is by being buried with Christ, raised through Christ, and living for Christ. That's the second way. And we need to do that every day of the year, not just today, as so many do in their practice of faith. You think about what it says here in chapter 3 of Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us, so everybody in this room, he says, All of us who have been baptized into Christ. So he's talking to you and me who've been baptized into Christ. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized to his death? See, don't you know that? You do. I know you do. But then he goes on to say, therefore, because you've been buried to Christ, baptized into his death, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that, what else? So that as Christ was raised from the dead, there's the power of the resurrection. So like Christ, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united in the likeness of his death, he says, verse 6, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And he says, put away the old and put on the new. That's the power of the resurrection. Living the new life. You were once dead, now you're alive. Live it for Christ. What's the third way? The third way is that the Lord's weekly memorial, 
the Lord's Supper. The Lord's weekly memorial supper of remembering and proclaiming Christ's death is to be observed for how long? How long do we need to keep this doing? Lord, we've been, I've been doing it, all, you know, I'm you know, 60 years old. I've been, you know, I've been doing it now almost 50 years. Do I have to still, do I need to keep on doing this? But what does the scripture say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's beginning in there in verse 20, 23, he says, Paul says, What I received in the Lord, I've given to you. The night he was betrayed, this is what he did. He took bread, broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, Same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And notice what it says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're to to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ Weekly. How do I do that? By remembering his death. Every Lord's day. Until the day Jesus comes back. Whether that's tomorrow, next year, a hundred years, or a thousand years from now. It doesn't matter. God's people proclaim the power of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ by remembering and proclaiming the death of their Lord weekly. The supper is a weekly testimony that although our Lord died, he lives. And I know he lives. And I'm going to keep observing his supper as as long as time continues for me or for the world. Because God raised him up, and he's coming back one day. And fourthly and finally, we remember the power of Jesus' resurrection by teaching the hope of the resurrection of life. Because Jesus conquered death for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 There in verse 20 and 21, it first reads, Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. He's only the first fruits. If there's first fruits, there's more fruit coming. And he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man came the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. There's a resurrection coming for all men one day. And after that, the judgment. But for those who are in Christ, it is a resurrection of life. It is a resurrection of hope. Because they have an inheritance prepared for them in heaven with God. And so as we conclude our lesson, let us read some closing verses of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of, the, of sin 
is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is there victory? It's because Jesus conquered death. That's why. There's victory even in death. There's victory when we die to our sin and raise to walk in newness of life. And there is victory even in our physical death because we die in hope. The way that God wants us to celebrate the resurrection of his son is not by making one day every year holy. You don't see that in the New Testament, making one day holy. It's not by, that's not the, the revelation of God's word to us. That's not the pattern. But rather, it's by how? It's by being totally convicted. Each one of us being totally convinced by the proof of Jesus' resurrection. So convinced that our lives are transformed. So persuaded that our lives are changed to live anew, not for ourselves anymore, but to live anew for God, for Christ, every day of our year. With the realization that we can live eternally with God in heaven one day because Jesus died for our sins and then conquered death. I don't have to be afraid of death. As those who are outside of Christ Jesus. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Why is that true? It's because Jesus was raised from the dead. He conquered death. He defeated Satan. Who had power of death. And he now, and Jesus has the keys. Satan doesn't have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus does. Jesus holds the control. And one day, he's coming back. And that day when he comes back, all in the graves, all, all in the graves, will hear the voice of the Son of God. Everybody who has ever lived and walked on this earth, good or bad, right or unrighteous, it doesn't matter. All will hear the power of God's Son. And they will be raised and stand before Him in the judgment seat. And they will give an account of what they've done in the body in their lifetime. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your Lord? He died for you. He was raised for you. Will you die with him? And will you be raised with him to walk a new life? If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, then why not today confess that faith unashamedly before others who care about you, who love you, who want the best for you? Confess your faith with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Repent of your sins that you've committed. Turn from that life and choose Christ. Be buried with him in baptism into his death 
Have you raised up of him from that baptism to walk in a new life? Have you not done that? That you're not in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you're alienated from God and without hope. Jesus came to give you hope. We want to help, and we want to help you with that. Whatever your spiritual need may be this morning, we invite you, encourage you. Please come now, make your wishes known, and we stand and sing the psalm that's been selected. <laughs>